Take your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Judges. We're going to finish our replay series. We've been, I think this is week number eight, and we're going to finish. You know, the, the number of perfection is seven. Maybe I should have stopped last week, but today we're going to go one more, all right? And uh, we're going to be in chapter six and seven of Judges, and we're talking about the life of Gideon. And just as a recap from last week, Gideon was a man who found himself in a hole. How many of you found yourself in a hole this week? Did you ask yourself the questions? What hole am I in? Did you ask yourself that question? Uh, how can I get out of it? And do I need help? Uh, those are some questions we can ask ourselves to get out of the holes of life. And so if you would just hang on to those. If you missed the message from last week, you can go back. You can listen to it online. It is available there. And so I encourage you to do that. Um, also, there were just a couple of other things that uh, I wanted to share with you about the life of Gideon from last week is that we saw that Gideon was a man who weighed the odds. He looked at the circumstances of life and he was overwhelmed. And so often we look at the circumstances of life, we get overwhelmed and just believe that there's no way out of the hole we're in. There's no way out of the circumstance. But I can tell you with God, as we saw with Gideon, there's always hope. Amen. There's always hope. And so my prayer today is that we come with hope. We come listening to the word of God and we come believing that it is truth. It is true. And it is it is uh, truth even today and relevant for our life, even as it was um, to those who lived it, who lived it out in the Old Testament, New Testament. But today we're in chapter six and seven. And Gideon's issue was an issue of fear. It was an issue of fear. And when you have fear, there seems to be no uh, presence of courage. All right. How many of you say that you you have an you have a problem with fear? You have a problem with fear. Um, how many of you say, hey, I'm I'm a person of courage. I have a lot of courage. Well, there's not a lot of hands going up. There are a couple. Um, I'm, I need to hang out with you. All right. And so. Uh, this is what courage is. Nelson Mandela was the former, he's a former president of South Africa, and he said this about courage. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. He says, the brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And so that's the best definition that I could give you about what courage is. A lot of times we feel that if, if we feel Fearful, then we don't have courage. Well, courage is the action. It's, it's acting out of the fear that is inside of us. It is conquering. It is acting, uh, to, uh, to do what we are afraid of doing. That's what courage is. And when you look at the life of, of Gideon, uh, we can learn the lesson that sometimes our fear is so big that it overshadows the hint or any hint of courage in our life. And Gideon was this kind of guy. Not only does does he not see the courage that is in him, but um, no one else really did either. But God came to him, even in his doubt and in his fear, and said, Hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, you man of strength, you man of courage. God responded to him and reassured him that he was, in fact, a man of courage and he would need it to do what God was asking him to do. And if you look in chapter six, verse 14, it says that the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so it's almost as if if 
Gideon had already known that God had called him and that he ran to the hole in fear because God had called him. Sometimes when God calls us to do a task or to do something that seems outside of our realm of of power, uh, we tend to run from that. Uh, we have all kinds of doubts and fears, all kinds of questions that, that swirl around in our mind. I remember when God called me to the ministry and when I realized that my, my fear was of standing in front of people and speaking and uh, it was having to deal with conflict and I was very fearful and I tried not to run from that. I tried to deal with it. And ultimately, I did answer the call of God on my life and really had to work through a lot of fear uh, to grab onto the courage that God saw in my own life. And a lot of times when we're called to do something big and it's over uh, over our heads or outside of our comfort zone or outside the box, it takes a God-sized courage to answer that call. And so that was the call to go and defeat the Midianites. That was the mission. But there were steps that Gideon would have to take to prepare him for the mission. And the first thing that God did is, is God said, hey, I want you to go to your father's house and I want you to destroy the altar that has been built there to um, for Baal worship. And so Gideon had to resolve in his heart and his mind that he had to go and take care of this first. And so he, he goes. So you have to understand that Gideon was probably involved in all this Baal worship. The altar was built in his father's backyard. And so at night, because he was afraid, he took 10 men with him and they go and they destroy this altar in there, when the, they, after they broke down the altar that was used for worshiping Baal, they, they built another altar to worship God there. And that's what they did there. Well, the very next day, these people come in uh, from town and they come to his father's house and they see that their altar where they worshiped had been broken down. And so they go and they knock on the door to Gideon's father and they said, hey, where's your son? We're here to kill him. Well, as any father would, um, he he distracted them a little bit and he says, hey, what's the problem? And they say, well, your son is the one who has destroyed the the Baal altar. And his father said this. He said, hey, listen, if Baal is truly a God, let him contend for himself. And so they stepped back and they waited for Baal to come and do some sort of miracle. And guess what? It didn't happen. And they waited and it didn't happen. And they waited and it didn't happen. And then God did a miracle. The miracle was this, that God gathered these men who were there to kill Gideon. He gathered them and they lined up behind Gideon and stood with him shoulder to shoulder to go and fight this battle against the Midianites. And it wasn't just a few people. I mean, God gathered several. I mean, it was like 32,000 people that God was gathering to go and fight this battle. And so there's a question that I want you to see here is... Um, the question is, were they there for the mission or were they there for the miracle? Because these were people who believed in gods. And if their God wasn't going to act and be powerful and do a miracle, then maybe Gideon's God would do the miracle. And so they lined up behind Gideon and they come to uh, go to battle with him. But only time would tell what their motive was. And, you know, a lot of people today are fascinated by Miracles. I mean, I'd, lo I'd love to see uh, a miracle. Uh, I've, I've seen some miracles in my life. They may not be the kind that others claim to see, but I've seen God work in mysterious ways and do some powerful things. And so the question is, is God, does God do miracles today? Does God do miracles? Has God done a miracle 
in your life? Have you seen God do a miracle? Well, the answer to that question is, of course, he does miracles. There's another question. Is God's mission miracles? Of course not. God has always had a mission, and that was to have a relationship with people, which for that to happen, there has to be a a miracle in itself for God to transform hearts, for God to transform minds, for us to trust God, to follow him into the unknown, to take his word as he says it and believe in his promises that he's going to keep those forever. There's a lot of miraculous power that takes place to transform the human heart. So that that is his mission. But a lot of people are fascinated by miracles and they believe that God's mission is to do a miracle. It depends on how you define miracle. But this is how I want to put it to us today. That we are called to be faithful to the mission. And God will do a miracle if he needs to. And we just leave that up to God. God, if you need to do the miracle, do the miracle. If you want to work that miracle through me, then work that miracle through me. And here's what God was doing in the life of Gideon. God was going to work a miracle through the life of Gideon. And so here's how it goes. At the end of Judges chapter 6, Gideon almost has another whole moment. So God's called him to go into the battle, and uh, he knows what the Midianite army looks like. He knows that there are more Midianites than there are Israelites. He knows that there are more Midianites than there are people that have gathered together to go fight this battle. Here are the numbers. 135 Midianites, 32,000 Israelites. Yeah, that's what I thought. Those numbers don't add up, do they? 103,000 more Midianites to Israelites. And so... You know, uh, Gideon's weighing the odds. He's looking at the odds. He's looking at the numbers. And, you know, weighing the odds is just looking at the evidence and rationalizing in your mind. Is this possible? Looking at the pros, looking at the cons, looking at the positives and the negatives and saying, hey, are we going to win this battle? Well, God had told him that he was going to win the battle and that God would save his life and that he was going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. So he comes back to God and um, he's pretty scared. The odds are this. The odds are one Israelite to four Midianites. One to four. Those aren't very good odds. They're not horrible, but they're not great. And Gideon was scared. You see, there can't be any courage unless we're scared to death. There can't be courage. That courage is never going to come out unless we're scared to death. And God led him to this place where he's scared to death. And so he comes to God and he says, hey, hey, God, in Judges chapter six, verse thirty six, he says, so, God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, so he recognizes, hey, God, you said this, you're going to save my life. You're going to save Israel. He says, look, I'm going to put out a fleece of wool on the fle- on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece only and not on the ground then I'm going to believe you. I I will believe what you have said. And so it says in verse 38 that it was so when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Now, a fleece is basically just this, just take it as a wool blanket type thing, okay? It's made out of wool. So he takes it, he lays it there. There's dew on the wool. There's no dew on the ground. And so he, uh, it says it was so in verse 38. When he arose early the next morning, he squeezed it out and there was a bowl full of water. The next verse says in verse 39, when Gideon said, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me 
But let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just one more time with the fleece. Now I want you to let it be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And verse 40 says, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. And so when God does the impossible, when God does so in your life, when he does what you ask him to do, what is your response? What's your response? Does it strengthen your faith or does it just cause you to ask more questions? Rejoice for some of us, for some of us, it's to rejoice for others. It's it's to run. Um, we continue to run because that fear is, is planted in there. And the fear was strong in Gideon's life. And you see, a faith and courage that was was once small for Gideon, though, this is what you see. He began to grow in courage. I remember God doing something in my own life to where, you know, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear. And I just began to pray and see, God, can you just solve this issue? God, will you just overcome the odds? And God did exactly what what I asked him to do. And um, my faith went through the roof. But when that moment was over, when that time had passed, when when all was at rest and all was at peace and life was kind of settled back down to normal, my faith settled back down as well. And I think that's what happens a lot of times. We see God do the big thing and then our faith settles back down and it defaults back to our own nature. It defaults back to its original place and Israel, I mean, yeah, Israel and Gideon were looking at that and they were they were struggling with this idea of courage and seeing courage grow and living by faith and courage. But here's what I know is if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? If God's for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, who can defeat us? Well, Judges chapter seven, it says, then Jerubal, uh, that is Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And so what you're seeing here is Gideon saying, okay, God, I believed you. We got the men. We're going in. We're going in. They headed north and they were, they had looked at the odds. They had looked at God and they said, okay, God is on our side. But sometimes our courage grows and it gets a little big. Sometimes our courage grows and it gets a little big. And see, there's a problem with big courage. And the problem with big courage is that we're going to go through the storm. We're going to go through the battle. And when we come on the other side and we have won the battle, the problem is, is we tend to take the credit. See, God wasn't really concerned about Gideon's courage. He was really more concerned about who's going to get the credit. See, God is God's really only about one thing, and that's the glory of God. God always wanted a relationship with Israel because that was going to be the way that he would get the most glory. And you say, well, man, that's a that's a pretty egotistical God. Well, God's not egotistical. God just knows who he is. God created the heaven and the earth. God created the planets. God created the universe. God created all human life, all living things. God knows that all power is in his hands. And God knows that ultimately for him to get the glory is the best plan for humankind. And God will take care of us when we're giving him the glory. That's what God was concerned with. He was concerned with who was going to get the glory, who was going to get the credit. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. 
It says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Say what? Time out. There are too many. We're already outnumbered one to four. And it says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And so Gideon's all in and he goes and says, hey, I know we got 32,000 here. I know this sounds crazy. Uh, they have 135,000, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it one time. If you're afraid, you're free to leave. If you're afraid, you can go back home. And 22,000 people walked away. 22,000. So that leaves them with 10,000. I can do that math. That leaves them with 10. The odds are now about 1 to 6. Okay? So a little, it's, it's a little worse. Maybe not too bad. I mean, God promised. And so they're still in it. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, Hey, Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so he brought them down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. So this has kind of been confusing because they use the word lap. This is pretty interesting. The word lap comes from the Hebrew language and it's the word yalak. Yalak. Listen, my dog comes into the house. We put a bowl of water on the floor and, and my dog begins to drink. If you listen closely, you don't have to listen closely to hear it. It's yalak, 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 yalak. That's what it sounds like. It's that tongue hitting the water. It's just lapping up the water. Did you know that that's where they got the word? The word came from listening to a dog. Oh, that sounds like yalak, yalak, yalak. That's how they got the word. And so that's no lie. I mean, that's in the commentary. All right. This is truth here. And so he said, hey, those who get on their on their knees and they put their face into the water and begin to lap it with their tongue. Those I want you to put in one group. And then those who get down on one knee and they use their hand and they lap it out of their hand, put those in another camp, put those in another group. And that's what that's what Gideon did. And the ones who got down all on their knees and put their face in the water and lapped up the water like that, those are the ones he sent home. Those are the ones he sent home. And it was a lot. In fact, the only ones who drank with their hand were 300. The odds just went up. One to 450. How would you feel if you were Gideon? Where would you be? Would you be wishing that you had joined the others, the 22,000 that went home? I'm sure Gideon did. I'm sure that his faith was very small. I'm sure that he was losing his courage. 
Because with those odds, with those numbers, you're in a hole. And in Judges chapter 7, verse 8, it says the people took provisions, their trumpets in their hand, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300. Now the camp of Midian was below in the valley. And I can tell you this, in today's time, most people would have, they would have quit. They would have weighed the odds. I know that those aren't very good odds in Vegas. I've never been in Vegas, and I don't gamble. Gideon wasn't much of a gambler either. But here's where he found hope. Somehow he knew the character of God. He knew the promise of God. And he knew that God doesn't gamble with our lives. God doesn't gamble with our life. God doesn't throw us out there on the table and just take a chance. God has a specific, clear-cut plan for how He wants you to live His life. Live your life. God has a clear-cut plan with the, for the victory that He wants to win and for the victory that He wants to win through you. And God had already assured him, hey, you're going to do this, and I'm going to save Israel, and I'm going to use you to do it. So he comes, and he understands where they are. And uh, you can imagine, you can imagine, it's like a coach who's in the locker room with his team, and you have the pregame speech, and he's yelling, and he says, we're going to do this, we're going to take them, you know, he builds them all up and everything, and then he claps his hands and says, let's go do it, and the coach turns to run, and everybody just stands there. You don't really see that on TV, right? I mean, in a football game, you see the coach getting everybody ready. You see people in the huddle. Man, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're jumping, and they're all excited for the battle, and they take off their run. They're ready to go and do this and to get the win. That's probably not what Gideon experienced. But he did the very best he could to to rally the troops and get them ready for this battle. But they were in a hole. But somehow in the hole of fear, they believed that there was courage and God was going to bring that courage to the surface and God was going to do what he said he would do. There are a couple of points of application I want to give you and we'll be finished. Number one, this is what I learned and this is what I take away from this story of Gideon is that God will go the distance with you through your doubt and fear. God will go the distance with you. If you feel like God is calling you to something, you hear a voice, let's just say. We're called to discern the spirits. We're called to discern the voices. Is this the voice of God or is this the voice of the gods? Is this the spirit of God or is this some foreign spirit who's trying to lead me off a cliff to kill me? We've got to know the truth of God. We've got to know the character of God. We've got to know how God has acted in the past because you know what God does? God, God, God's character never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? But that doesn't mean that God's not going to call us to do crazy things. That doesn't mean that God's not going to challenge you to go to the person that um, has caused you the most difficulty in your life, the most hurt, the most pain, and call you to forgive them. It doesn't mean that God's not going to call you to buckle down for five years and get on a plan to get out of debt. It doesn't mean that God's not going to cause you or allow you to go through a time of suffering. It doesn't mean that God's not going to take you to the edge and let you feel the, the fear 
of standing on the cliff doesn't mean that. See, God wants what's best for us. And He's teaching us and He is honing in on us and He's He's molding us and He is shaping our character. But more than that, He's shaping our faith. He's shaping our faith so that we'll be willing to say yes every time He calls us to the next level. To say yes, to say yes, to say yes. And God goes with you the entire way. So it happened right here in Judges 7, verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down to the camp. Remember, he's talking to the 300. For I have delivered you into your hand. There's the assurance. That's where your courage comes from. Our courage comes from the promise of God. He says, For I have delivered you into, in, I've delivered it into your hand. Talking about the victory. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp. Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. Remember, they're up here on this cliff and they're looking down into the valley and they can see all the Midianites down in the valley. And he says, hey, if you're afraid, take Pura, your servant, I want you to go down there. And he showed him where to go. Why was he afraid again? Because he was trusting with his eyes and not his heart. He was looking at it. He saw it. The Bible says that they were that the number of the Midianites were as the sand of the seashore. And then it tells us later in chapter eight, it gives us the numbers. There were one hundred and thirty five thousand. They had a lot of camels, man. They were well equipped. They had all the resources they need. A victory seemed out of uh, out of reach. And so what does it say? Uh, The next verse says that he went down to the camp. Why? Because he was afraid. And he took Pura, his servant. And they kind of, um, they were spying out and they got into the distance where they could, they could overhear a conversation. And this guy telling about a dream that he had. And he made application that it was this big loaf of barley that rolled into the camp and destroyed the Midianites. And he says this was none other than the sword of of Gideon. And so he was saying, hey, I had this dream and we're all going to be destroyed by this guy in Israel named Gideon. And Gideon heard that. And man, the dream, the, the interpretation, the words that he heard, it changed his life. He goes back and he rallies the troops and they did exactly what God told them to do. They, they just had all this courage overshadow the fear. They were ready to go into battle. It says in verse 15, And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, its interpretation, that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And that leads us to number two. So God's going to go through everything with you. He's going to rid you of your of your fear and of your doubt. He's going to go the whole distance with you. And number two is God is still calling men. God is still calling men to have courage to live by faith. To believe. To fully trust. And to follow Him into the unknown. Is God calling women? I believe He's calling women. But listen. He's calling men. His call has been men. Men to step up and be warriors. You don't see any women in this. It says that there were 300 men. The women were not here for the battle. He called men, and he's still calling men today. For men to arise, to watch, to pray, to protect, to to stand, to sacrifice, to embrace the battle that you face. Theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this. He said, to dare is to lose one's footing momentarily. To not dare 
is to lose oneself. God called them to take the dare. And if they didn't, they would lose their identity. They would lose their identity that they were the children of God. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, A hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is braver five minutes longer. Here's the five minutes for Israel, if you want to say five minutes. It was a little longer, but here was the moment. In verse 16, it says, Then he divided the 300 into three companies, and he put a trumpet, a trumpet, that looked a little bit like this. It was basically a ram's horn. I showed you the big one a couple of weeks ago, but it was it was something like this. And he gave them a picture, something like this, and it had a little light in it, and they used it for a lantern, okay? I mean, they're they're going into battle. These were the weapons. No swords. Hey, if it's me, I'm taking a sword. Hey, if it's me, I'm packing. Better believe it. Got my taser on one hip, got my pistol on the other. We're going. No horn, no pitcher. These don't make sense, do they? Listen to this. It says they had the empty pitchers, the torches inside the pitchers, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you're going to do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so they had three camps, a hundred here, a hundred there, a hundred here. And he gets back and he blows the trumpets. And what happens is they blow the trumpets, they break the pitchers, and they yell out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But there was no sword. There was no sword. If you go to the New Testament, you'll find out what the sword is. What is the sword? The sword is the word of of God. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The sword is the word of God. What was their greatest weapon? It was the promise of God. It was the promise that God said, hey, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you victory. I'm taking you to the battle. I'm taking you through the battle. And the battle is yours. Go and do it. Go and take it. Here are your weapons. And so they go. So that's what they did. They blew their trumpets. They broke their pitchers. They shouted that the sword of the Lord and of Gideon And this is what it says in verse 21. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. The whole army ran and cried out and fled. Did you hear that? The whole army cried out and fled. This this is the army of the Midianites. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerorah as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabath. I was speaking English. Verse 23. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. In Judges 8.10, it says that 120,000 Midianites died there. When they blew the trumpet, when they broke the glass, everyone they were so startled, they started running around and killing one another. God fought their battle. God gave them the victory. But the men of Israel pursued them. Later on, you see that Gideon was not a young man. Gideon was an older man. In fact, he had a son and he had a grandson because the people of of Israel asked Gideon to come and serve as their king 
And Gideon refused to do so. But he said, tell you this. He said, go among all the spoils, all the people that, that have died. And I want you to take gold. I want you to bring it. I'm going to make you an ephod. An ephod was, um, it was worn by priests. It was, it was cloth. And you know, they kind of wore a, they wore this skirt and they had this thing that came up over their, over their, their chest and, uh, tied in the back. And that was kind of what a priest wore. Well, an ephod for a warrior was a little different. I mean, it still kind of looked the same, but it was made out of metal. I mean, it was it was for protection. It was for protecting the um, the vital organs, if you will. And so Gideon said, go and get all this gold and bring it back, and I'm going to make you an ephod. And so he made the ephod, and the Bible says that he put it in his city, Ophrah. And he said that the ephod became a stumbling block for all of Israel. And here's what I want you to write down. I didn't put this in your notes, but I want you to, I want you to write this down. Protect your heart. Protect your heart. When you're going through it and you come out on the other side, protect your heart. Because you'll be tempted to take the credit. You'll be tempted to take the glory. You'll be tempted to say, it was all about me. Judges 8.27 is where you can find that story. And you see, we think about the victory that's ours. We think about all that we overcome. The reason this story means so much to me is because a few years ago, I was going through a difficulty in my life and God met me in my hole of fear. And he said, Brian, this is what I'm calling you to do. And it had to do with someone here, someone at our church. It was a staff member. God said, this is what I want to happen. And I pushed that so far away from my mind and so far away from my heart that I couldn't, I just couldn't listen to it because of fear in my heart. Because I was listening to God, God, God made it happen. God did what he said he was going to do. And it took us through. Uh, some difficulties. When I first came here, I had a man tell me, he said, Brian, our church is going through a purging and we're all going to be surprised at who gets purged. And this was a staff member that ended up uh, being let go. And I listened to God. I listened to this story that he had spoken into my heart. And I sit here and I watch people walk away. And I'd have people come and say, Brian, you got to go get them. you got to go talk to them. You've got to run after them. And I said, I can't. God told me not to. And people got angry with me. And they said, that is, that's against His Word. And I said, listen, God told me not to. I'm not going to argue with you. God told me not to. Just trust me. I heard God on this. And I didn't. And I watched people that people thought were warriors for God walk out the door. It's one of the hardest experiences of my life. Some of the hardest experiences of my life have happened right here in this church. But God has a plan for His church. And what God is doing is God saying, Hey, I'm going to give you victory. And after that moment, I begin to pray, God, I'm praying right now for 300 leaders. I want 300 warriors, God, that you'll use to take into the battle. The battle for the kingdom. 
God, don't set our swords against each other. God, help us to have unity. Help us to believe you. Help us to take our pictures and help us to take our trumpets and understand that our our battle weapons are, are, are futile. They're useless. They're nothing. And help us to trust in the only thing that matters at all. And that is knowing where our victory comes from. Our victory is in Christ. There is no weapon. There is no weapon that can be formed against the cross. There's no weapon that can be formed against what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And there is no way that we can come to the cross and take any credit for what God's doing in our life. Because it says that all of our greatest goods, all of our greatest works are as filthy rags to him. And so we come to him. He says, hey, there's nobody good. No, not one. Everybody's full of sin. But because I love you, but because I love you, I'm going to set you free from that. And I'm going to give you an impossible victory. And that impossible victory is I'm going to send my son, Jesus. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to shed his blood. And if you will believe You'll be saved. If you'll confess your sin, I, who is faithful and just, I'll forgive you of your sin and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And when God looks at his church, when God looks at his people, when God looks at the redeemed, when God looks at us and he says, I see saints. He says, I see a peculiar treasure, a special people. Who belong to me. That's what he says. That's who we are. That's our identity. The victory is ours through the cross of Jesus Christ. When it seems like everything is piled up against us, when it seems like there's no hope, listen, there's always hope. God has given us the ultimate hope. And that is just to walk with him and believe his promises. It is to believe, to fully trust, and to follow him into the unknown. Question is, are we ready and are we willing? Let's pray.